Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. So if you haven't guessed yet, today is a special Sunday. We call this a musical Sunday. You probably have been here for a rock and roll Sunday and we did other Sundays before and today at the eve of Valentine's Day. It's about love. So that's why you're hearing all these love songs today. And I am going to tie my message into a special song we're going to hear just after the message and before the meditation. And I'm going to just transition from what we talked about last week a little bit into that. <clears throat> because it all ties together. Let me see. It's not working too bad. Let's see. There you go. Let's start with this. So last week I talked about the creation stories, the two creation stories we have in the Bible, and how they actually are stories that we can find in other religions and mystical writings. Uh, first of all, how the world is created in the first place, and then how humans are created, and so we explored that a little bit. And today I want to go a little bit more into Adam and Eve, and that whole idea of that in the Western world, we, we often perceive that story as, as an original sin, right? So some of the religions that we may have grown up with see what happened, the eating of the forbidden fruit, as an original sin. But today I want to actually explore a different approach. In Unity, we often interpret the same story and call it an original blessing. So how can we turn a sin into blessing, you might ask? And that takes a little bit of understanding of what this story is about and what the symbols mean. And so, but first of all, I want to start with Rumi, who says, in every religion there is love, yet love has no religion. And that's really important to remember today and every day, because love transcends all our belief systems. In the end, it really doesn't matter what we believe, how we believe, and what we practice, and how we practice. In the end, what really matters is love, and that's it. The question is, how can we get to that same love? And some of us find it easier to get through to that love through unity, or through Christianity, or through a different kind of religion. Others find it much easier to get to the same love by not having a belief system at all. And we should all be in acceptance of that. That's what unity is really about, is about having that openness and say, you know, we don't tell you what to believe. We have our teachings, but you're welcome regardless, with, because it's your journey to learn to love. So I want to talk specifically today about the snake, <clears throat> because the snake is such an interesting symbol, right? Anthropologists have found out that we are actually programmed to react fearfully uh, against snakes in our amygdala, the very center of our brain, 
It's an immediate fear reaction for most of us because long, long, long time ago, prehistoric uh, human beings and before modern beings, even then the snakes were among the very few animals who threatened human life. And so when we think of snakes, anthropologists found that our immediate reaction is, <laughs> so don't wanna, don't wanna go there. But what, and, and so we can, we can kind of make sense of that the way we interpret often the Adam and Eve story is rather negative when it comes to the snake, right? Often we are taught that the snake symbolizes the devil or symbolizes something bad. And the snake does something really bad here. And that's how we end up then essentially interpreting Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil as our original sin. That's where it all fell apart. And then we interpret the exile from Garden of Eden also as something bad. But what if it isn't? What if the snake will be perceived as something else? And you might remember from last week, I had this picture up of the goddess Numa, which is from Chinese mystical, Chinese mystical stories. Numa, uh, as you might remember, saw her image in, in the lake and then started creating human beings out of the mud, out of the soil, out of the lake, and started creating humanity that way. And you might have wondered why I never talked about the snake, the big snake that no one can miss on this image. It's because I had to wait for today <laughs> to talk about it, because that is actually how Nuba is traditionally depicted in a lot of paintings and a lot of illustrations. Nuba traditionally is depicted with a snake body and a human head. And of course, in the story about seeing her own image, it wouldn't make sense to have a snake body because otherwise, guess what? We would all have snake bodies, right? <laughs> so I had to kind of like ignore that for a moment, but this is really the original uh, idea. And it's important because when, especially when we move east in terms of mystical writings and religious and spiritual writings, we actually get to see quite a different picture of what those writings symbol or what they understand the snake to mean. Number one is fertility. And the goddess Niwa is actually a goddess of fertility. She not only created humanity, but she was also responsible for fertile grounds, fertile crops, fertile and the humanity being fertile and prosper and grow. Okay. But even in North America before the modern Western world, we actually have the Hopi people um, do a special dance every year. And it's a dance of the snakes. And you can see in this illustration, they're holding snakes. And they do that actually, when they do the dance of the snakes, they hold snakes. And after the dance, that are live snakes, they let them go into the fields. Because also in the Hopi tradition, the snake represents fertility, fertility of nature. And so they let the snakes go. They honor the snakes every year and let them go into nature so that the crops will grow and so on. That dance is also a form of prayer, a prayer to the spirits of the clouds, the spirits of thunder and, and, and lightning and the spirits of rain. 
the Hopi people also believe that the snake symbolizes the umbilical cord that connects humanity with Mother Earth. And so you have a completely different idea here the, how snakes are being worshipped in some traditions. In the Buddhist tradition, um, often Buddha sitting under the tree meditating is depicted with a snake curling up her tail and create a bed for the Buddha to sit on, but then uses her hood, think of a cobra, spreading her hood over Buddha to protect him from any uh, rain or storm or any outside influences so that he may meditate peacefully. Now here we have the snake being represented with seven heads, and that's very common that snakes in the Buddhist and Hindu tradition have one, five, seven, or a thousand heads. One more, Hindu. In Hinduism, here's a picture of Vishnu with uh, his uh, companion Lakshmi. And again, you have a snake, and that snake is actually named. The snake's name is Shesha. So you have Shesha creating again, and this is on an ocean, creating the bed for Vindu, uh, Vishnu and Lakshmi to sit on, and then again, protecting both of them with um, being over them. So we have the idea of guardianship and protection that's being symbolized here in a snake. So another very positive idea. Then we have a very interesting story. Now you heard of probably me talk about the Trimurti, which is Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Vishnu here is the sustainer of the world. Without Vishnu, the world would just collapse. Brahma creates the world. Shiva destroys the world, and Vishnu keeps it alive. Okay? So it's kind of interesting that you have Shesha here protecting Vishnu, which kind of means, well, you know, let's keep that world alive for a lo as long as we, we can. But in Hindu tradition, and that's the symbol of the snake of rebirth, we have Shiva, the destroyer. And at some point in Hindu tradition, it is believed that Shiva will arrive, will come, and destroy the entire universe. Just completely destroy it. And then Shesha, the same person, at least that's what I was taught in the ashram, Shesha then comes along and eats up all the debris of the universe, everything that's left over. And Shesha then digests the whole universe and spits out a new universe. And then Brahma can come in and create all these new worlds. A symbol of rebirth. So instead of just seeing snakes as evil or as something bad, we should remember that many traditions around the world see the snake actually as quite something honorable, a symbol of fertility, a symbol of our connection to Mother Earth, guardianship, protection, and rebirth. Very powerful. The Buddha once said, and that's actually adapted by Jack Hornfield, just as a snake sheds its skin, we must shed our past over and over again. Again, the tradition of rebirth, of letting go, and so on. So now, let's try to 
Oh, there's one more snake. You probably all know this one or heard of the, it. Have you ever heard of Kundalini? Kundalini is the name of another snake. It's of the curled snake. And Kundalini represents, that's important piece, spiritual freedom, spiritual enrichment and complete freedom. And Kundalini starts at the base of the spine and there's certain practices that we can do. There's even a practice called Kundalini Yoga who then can um, energize Kundalini and it starts curling and curling all the way up, all the way up through the chakra centers and out of the top of the head. And that then is the symbol of enlightenment, spiritual freedom, and so on. So we have another element here that ties into what a snake could symbolize. So let's go back to the story. If we take away the evil part, if we take away the idea that the snake getting Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, because the snake is evil. If we say for a moment that the snake represents protection, fertility, rebirth, and spiritual freedom, what then would the outcome of eating the forbidden fruit be? It would be completely different, right? And I'll just give you one example. It's from Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 21. That's just after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So they understood there's something changing. I ate, they ate from the, forbidden, from the forbidden fruit, and again, this is often interpreted as something bad, that our eyes being opened our understanding now to know good and evil is a bad thing. And then in verse 21, which is later at the end of the chapter, it says, and the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. Again, often interpreted as something bad. Ooh, we need to cover them up. But when we understand that the purpose of the snake and the eating of the forbidden fruit may not necessarily be something bad, may not be the original sin, but instead could be a blessing in our lives. We actually get to understand that here is a symbol of a relationship between God and us. This is at the very end, or close to the end. This is when God then kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. And in many religions, many denominations, this is the number one thing that we need to repent on and we need to forgive ourselves for and we need to go back. But look at the text. First of all, it's again one of those, see the humans have become like one of us. One of us, not one of me. There's the multiple again which can give you some ideas that, well, maybe there's a little bit more to it than just this being a decision that God made. And now they might reach out their hands and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. There's another hint here. When we know, when we come into existence, 
and follow our desires, we get to learn the eternal life forever. Ultimately, the entire chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve, is not about the original sin, but by the idea that we have desired this all along. We have wanted this all along. It's free will, remember? Adam and Eve had a choice. They were either going to eat the fruit or not eat the fruit. But it's their choice. It's our choice to be good or not good. It's our choice to love or not to love. There's nothing that can go against that. Ultimately, this entire story is about the power of love. In unity, we have these 12 powers. And so the power of love represents our ability to desire, to give, to fulfill what we're here to do. And eating the forbidden fruit is not a bad thing. Eating a forbidden fruit means that we are following our desires and are also in acceptance of the consequences. Obviously, the consequence here is, therefore, the Lord God sent them forth from the Garden of Eden. And we always see this as something bad. But what if it is not? What if the exile from the Garden of Eden, I wouldn't even call it an exile, but what if leaving the Garden of Eden and returning to it is the very thing that we all desire, that we as a humanity, as a collective, have desired all along, that we wanted to experience what it is like to be in human form? that we wanted to be in understanding of what is good and what is evil, that we wanted to understand what it is like to fulfill eternal life. And so it can only be, in that perspective, a blessing to actually leave the Garden of Eden and have the power to return to it. So it's not a sin, but a blessing. And that blessing is an expression of our desires. Not wants, right? Remember the difference between wants and desires? Okay? Wants is, uh, I want a Mercedes instead of a Honda. Okay? That's wants. Desires is, I want to be fulfilled. You know, I want to be fulfilled. And yes, I need a car to go somewhere and here and there. And that's part of my fulfillment. It doesn't really matter the details of that. But I want to be fulfilled. I want to be um, healthy, I want to be prosperous, and so on. So not a sin, but a blessing. We're also not victims. That's the other message here. We're not victims to God. We're not victims. We're not being kicked out, and we're victims to that, and now we're struggling to get back into it. No, we're the creators. We wanted this. We have free will. The snake didn't trick us. The snake gave us a choice. And the choice had to do much more with our own spiritual fulfillment than anything else. It wasn't an evil choice. Remember, there's no such thing as an equal power to God that is bad. Evil does not exist except in our own behavior. That's what shows up as evil. That's what we judge as evil. But evil does not exist on its own. It's impossible because there's only one presence and one power. So in an end, we are not victims but creators, and it's a welcome journey home. That's what we're all on. 
heading back to the Garden of Eden. So getting back to love, when we talk about desire, it's the power of love and the power of a big love, the divine love. And Charles Fillmore says, our co-founder, divine love is impersonal. It loves for the sake of loving. It is not concerned with what or who it loves, nor with a return of love. Like the sun, it is, its joy is in the shining forth of its nature. And there's a reference to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and you all know this one, love is patient, love is kind. Well, I shouldn't say you all know it. Have you heard of it before? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and you have all these attributes, patience, kindness, rejoicing, truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So the trick is to remember that the story of Adam and Eve, our own creation, is not a story on its own. It's a story that's shared across the world by many different religions, many mystical writings that are thousands of years older than the story that we know. The other thing to remember is we have wanted this in the first place. We have wanted to eat the forbidden fruit, and probably if we had this idea in mind that evil is not existent or the snake is not a bad thing, we wouldn't have even called it forbidden fruit. We probably have, would have called it something completely else. But we wanted this in the first place. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to affirm this creative power, which will lead us to our next song. The next song is Love of My Life by Freddie Mercury. And it's a beautiful song, very emotional. And if you know a little bit about the history, why this song was even written by him, and in what context, there's actually two different ideas why. Then the song can come across as something really sad. But at the same time, I wanted to encourage you to change your mind and ask yourself, what if this song means something completely different? What if we use the song, the title of the song, as our affirmation? I am the love of my life. I want this. I am here because I want to be here. I'm not a victim to my own creation. And so we're going to listen to this song and move into meditation quietly so that you have some time to just reflect on the song and see how it feels for you.
I invite you to take these words into your meditation for today. Allow your body to relax and mind to settle. And affirm to yourself, I am the love of my life. I am at the foundation of my creation. Together we remember that love transcends absolutely everything. No evil, no limitation, no regret can be present when we truly love. We breathe into the idea that we are love itself. We allow these stories to inspire us, to give us direction.
we are God love itself. No one can take that away from us. We are love as patient and kind. We bear all things. We are the love of our lives. Whatever in our life does not seem right, does not seem precious, we don't fight it, we don't ignore it, but we simply remember. There's a place we can give more love to. Love of my life is within ourselves and others. Our lives are important individually and collectively. Together we love without limitation. Together we love without regret. We love and give for the sake of loving and giving. We do not ask anything back. We simply enjoy and rejoice in the truth of that love that we are. I am the love of my life. Just for a moment, quietly tell this to yourself. I am the love of my life. Allow that power to come forth. Allow that energy to come up your spine from the base all the way through the top of your head. in that love that you have for yourself and we all have for each other. We find the perfect expression of Kundalini. We recognize Nirvana, Moksha, enlightenment. We are free, free to choose to let our desires unfold, free to know what there is to know and free to be who and what we truly are. So we give thanks once more to this wonderful opportunity to remember. We don't have to create, we don't have to force, we just simply sit and remember, relax, surrender. We give thanks to the many teachings that inspire us to be here today. And remember that we are love itself, meant to be expressed in every moment. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. 
You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.